It's 102 degrees, and I have a new pair of glasses. Let's read Chapter 5 of Animal Farm. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, this is Gene, and now we got a big chapter coming up. Chapter 5 of Animal Farm. Uh, as you'll remember, um, so far the animals have taken over the farm. Um, they are, uh, the pigs are actually the elites in Animal Farm, elitist. Uh, now what's going to end up happening? We also know that Snowball and Napoleon, two of the top pigs, top arguing pigs, don't agree on just about anything. And we can see that Animal Farm is rife, ripe for creating a tyrannical world. So let's see what's going to happen now. Chapter 5. As winter drew on, Molly became more and more troublesome. She was late for work every morning and excused herself by saying that she had overslept, and she complained of mysterious pains. Although her appetite was excellent, on every kind of pretext she would run away from work and go to the drinking pool, where she would stand foolishly gazing at her own reflection in the water. But there was... There were also rumors of something more serious. One day, Molly, one day, as Molly strolled blithely into the yard, flirting her long tail and chewing at her stalk of hay, Clover took her aside. Molly, she said, I have something very serious to say to you. This morning I saw you looking over the hedge that divides the animal farm from Foxwood, one of Mr. Pinkleton's men's. Uh, Miss, one of Mr. Pinkleton's men was standing on the other side of the hedge, and I saw, I was a long way away, but I'm almost certain I saw this. He was talking to you, and you were allowing him to stroke your nose. What does that mean, Molly? He didn't. I wasn't. It isn't true, cried Molly, beginning to prance about and paw the ground. Molly, look at me in the face. Do you give me your word of honor that that man was not stroking your nose? It isn't true, repeated Molly, but she could not look Clover in the face. And the next moment she took her he took to her heels and galloped away to the field. As thought struck Clover, a thought struck Clover. Without saying anything to the others, she went to Molly's stall and turned over the straw with her hoof. Hidden under the st straw was a little pile of lump sugar, and several bunches of ribbon of a dozen colors. Three days later, Molly disappeared. For some weeks, nothing was known about her whereabouts. Then the pigeons reported they had seen her on the other side of Willington. She was between the shafts of a smart dog cart, painted red and black, which was standing outside the public house, a fat, red-faced man in checked breeches and gaiters, who looked like a publican, was stroking her nose and feeding her with sugar. Her coat was newly clipped, and she wore a scarlet ribbon around her neck, around her forelock. She appeared to be enjoying herself, so the pigeons said, none of the animals ever mentioned Molly again. Now, a couple of things with this. First off, um, you can't take, you can't make someone accept the collective that's what's going to happen people are individuals this is again 
something that's being pushed by Orwell. But the other problem is escapes from the collectives, escapes from the tyrannical, this happens. It happens. Soviet Union actually had to take countries over and still build the Berlin Wall, build a wall to make sure people couldn't escape. Cuba, how many people, hundreds of thousands of Cubans tried to escape the Castro regime? This is something that the animals are going to have a problem with. Now, what they typically do is what they did here is they just ignore the problem. They flat out just ignore the problem. It's kind of like what we do with ignoring history and things like that. You want it to be a certain way. So instead of talking about Mali, instead of showing their weakness, which is what they're doing, they just ignore it and say it never happened. In January, there came a bitterly hard weather. The earth was like iron and nothing could be done in the fields. Many meetings were held in the big barn. The pigs occupied themselves with planning out the work for the coming season. It had come to be accepted that the pigs, who were manifestly cleverer than the other animals, should decide all questions of farm policy. Though their decisions had to be ratified by a majority vote, this arrangement would have worked well enough if it had not been for the disputes between Snowball and Napoleon. These two disagreed at every point where disagreement was possible. If one had... One of them suggested sowing a bigger acreage with barley. The other was certain to demand a bigger acreage of oats. And if one of them said that such and such a field was just right for cabbages, the other would declare that it was useless for anything except roots. Each had his own following. There were more violent debates. At the meetings, at the meetings Snowball often won over the majority uh, by his brilliant speeches, but Napoleon was better at canvassing support for himself in between times. He was especially successful with the sheep. Of, the sh of late, the sheep had taken to bleeding four legs good, two legs bad, both in and out of the season, and they often interpreted the meeting with this. They interrupted the meeting with this. Okay, something to point out. Um, there, Orwell did this on purpose. Sheep, yes. Don't be a sheep that needs a shepherd. That's exactly why he used the sheep. So these are, are sheep. And again, them screaming four legs good, two legs bad is kind of like um, no justice, no peace, which is an Antifa thing. So sh the sheep today could be compared to Antifa. The sheep can be compared to Antifa today. It's exactly the same thing. Okay, let's move on. It was noticed that they were especially liable to break into four legs good, two legs bad at crucial moments in Snowball's speeches. Snowball had made a close study of some back numbers of the farmer and the stock breeder, which he had found in the farmhouse, and was full of plans for innovations and improvements. He talked learnedly about the field drains, silage, and basic slag, and had worked out a complicated scheme for all the animals to drop their dung directly in the fields, at a different spot every day, to save the labor of cartage. Napoleon produced no schemes of his own, but he quiet, but he, but said quietly that Snowball would come to nothing and seemed to be biding his time. But all 
but of all controversies, none was so bitter as the one that took place over the windmill. Now, Snowball here, we got to understand something. Yes, they're, they're pigs, yeah. Snowball is an idealist. That's what Snowball is. Snowball actually believes in what he's doing. He is actually going out there. And you're going to see this in the, when they talk about the windmill. He is actually trying to make uh, Animal Farm work. And he's trying to tell people how it can work. So he's an idealist. He's a good guy. He's a good pig. Um, he actually wants Animal Farm to be successful. He wants it to be free. But as, we, as we'll see later in this chapter, it's Napoleon who you've got to watch out. Napoleon, who has no ideas. Napoleon, who does not put anything, does not put any ideas out to improve. Napoleon, who points out the bad, but never has an opposite solution. This is the problem with Napoleon. And this is the problem with tyrants. They don't have an idea to fix things. They just say, no, this is not how it's done. And that's it. That's not a way to be. And that's why when I sit there and tell people, okay, um, like Joe Biden, a prime example. Joe Biden says, oh, well, Trump mishandled the COVID-19 virus. Now, this, is the, this is the thing. This is what he is writing on right now. My question is, well, what would you have done differently? Don't tell me how bad Trump handled it. Because nobody handled the coronavirus well. Nobody. No country in the world. We're not even the worst country in the world as far as infections go. Okay? Nobody handled it well. Joe, what would you have done? I don't want to hear how bad Trump is. I want to hear what you would have done. Because that's fine. You don't think he did well? Yes. Well, this is what I would have done. What's ironic is what he would have done, it's on his website, is exactly what Trump did do months ago. So it's really kind of bizarre. But this is a problem with Napoleon. Napoleon is sitting back and saying, no, can't do this. Doesn't say why, doesn't know why, and doesn't offer any alternate solutions. So right off the bat, Snowball is trying to improve society. Napoleon doesn't care. So let's continue. In the long pasture, not far from the buildings, farm buildings, there was a small knoll which was the highest point of the farm. After surveying the ground, Snowball declared that this was just the place for a windmill, which could be made to operate di a dynamo and supply the farm with electrical power. This would light the stalls and warm them in the winter, and would also run a circular saw, a chaff cutter, a mangle slicer, and an electric milking machine. The animals had never heard of anything of this kind before, for the farm was an old-fashioned one and had only the most primitive machinery. And they listened in astonishment while Snowball conjured up pictures of fantastic machines which would do their work for them while they grazed at their ease in the fields and improved their minds with reading and conversation. Within a few weeks, Snowball's plan for the windmill were fully worked out. The mechanical details came mostly from three books which had belonged to the Mr. Jones, 1,000 Useful Things to Do About the House, Every Man His, Every Man His Own Bricklayer, and Electricity for Beginners. Snowball used, used as his study a shed which had once been in, uh, used for incubators and had a smooth wooden floor suitable for drawing on. He was closeted there for hours at a time. With his books held open by a stone and with 
a piece of chalk gripped between his knuckles of his trotter, he would move rapidly to and fro, drawing in line after line and uttering little whimpers of excitement. Gradually the plans grew into complicated mass of cranks and cogwheels, covering more than half the floor, which the other animals found completely unintelligible but very impressive. All of them came to look at Snowball's drawings at least once a day. Even the hens and the ducks came, and were at pains not to tread on the chalk marks. Only Napoleon held aloof. He declared himself against the windmill from the start. One day, however, he arrived unexpectedly to examine the plans. He walked heavily around the shed, looked closely at every detail of the plans, and snuffed at them once or twice, then stood for a while while contemplating them out of the corner of his eye. Then suddenly he lifted a leg, urinated over the plans, and walked out without uttering a word. The whole farm was deeply divided on the subject of the windmill. Snowball did not deny that to build it would be a difficult business. Stone would have to be carried and built up into the walls. Then the sails would have to be made, and after, uh, after that there would be the need for dynamos and cable. How these were to be procured, Snowball didn't say. But he maintained that it could be all done in a year. And after thereafter, he declared, so much labor would be saved that the elves only need work three days a week. Napoleon, on the other hand, argued that the great need of the moment was to increase food production, and that if they wasted time on a windmill, they would, be, they would all starve to death. The animals informed themselves into two factions under the slogans, vote for Snowball in a three-day week, and vote for Napoleon in a full manger. Benjamin was the only animal who did not side with either faction. He refused to believe either the f that food would become more plentiful or that the windmill would save work. Windmill or no windmill, he said, life would go on as it always had gone on. That is, badly. Now, the mule, Benjamin, he's been a negative Nancy from the first page, but he is right. Life is going to go on. You're going to do what you have to do. And this is not a... It's basically... He's a, he's a realist. He's not an idealist. He thinks, you know, everyone says this. No, it's going to suck no matter what. And that's what it is. And get over it. And This is not necessarily a bad thing. It just It's a realistic thing. He just looks at things... I mean, it's when he goes to work. He just goes, he works his hours, he's done. Apart from the disputes... Uh, I'm sorry, let's continue. Apart from the disputes over the windmill, there was the question of defense of the farm. It was fully realized that, though the human beings had been defeated in the Battle of Cowshed, they might make another, more determined attempt to recapture the farm and reinstate Mr. Jones. They had all the more reason for doing so because the news of their defense feet had spread across the countryside and made the animals on neighboring farms more restive than ever. Remember this. This is a thing. This is a thing. The Soviet Union worried about this. Cuba worried about this. This is a big problem. North Korea continually worries about this. China even worries about this. Okay, continue. As usual, Snowball and Napoleon were in disagreement. According to Napoleon, what the animals must do is procure firearms and train themselves in the use of them. 
According to Snowball, they must send out more and more pigeons and stir up a rebellion among the animals on the other farms. The one argued that if rebellions happened everywhere, they would have no need to defend themselves. The animals listened to first to Napoleon, then to Snowball, and could not make up their minds which was right. Indeed, they always found themselves in agreement with the one who was speaking at the moment. Now, here, here's the the thing with this. Um, I actually have a note here that talks about satellite countries where they're actually trying to, they're actually trying to shore themselves up. Um, but do you notice there's not, there's one thing that the animals don't do? They don't negotiate. There's no diplomacy. It's either we build defense internally or we stir rebellions with the other animals. You could call this racism. In this case, it's speciesism, I guess is what the term would be because the animals want. Nobody negotiates. This is a bad thing because there is no negotiation. There is no negotiation. Even Snowball, who is an idealist, doesn't think twice about it. He still believes in the collective. He still believes in the communist the communist empire, which is exactly what Animal Farm is. It's a communist collective empire. That's what it is. And he now, he wants to, but none of the pigs sit back and say, hey, let's get with the, uh, let's get with the humans and start negotiating with them. That's not a thing. Let's continue. At last, at last the day came when snowball plans were completed. At the meeting on the following Sunday, the question of whether or not to begin work on the windmill was put to a vote. When the animals had assembled in the big barn, Snowball stood up, and though occasionally interrupted by bleeding from the sheep, again, there's Antifa, set forth his reasons for advocating for the building of the windmill. Then Napoleon stood up to reply. He said very quietly that the windmill was nonsense and that he advised nobody to vote for it, and promptly sat down again. He had spoken for barely 30 seconds and seemed almost indifferent as to the effect he produced. At this, Snowball sprang to his feet and, shouting down the sheep, who had begun bleeding again, broke into a passionate appeal in favor of the windmill. Until now, the animals had been about equally divided in their sympathies, but in a moment of Snowball's eloquence, eloquence had carried them away. In glowing sentences, he painted a picture of Animal Farm as it might be when the sordid labor was lifted from the animals' backs. His imagination had now run far beyond chafe cutters and turnip slicers. Electricity, he said, could operate threshing machines, plows, harrows, rollers, and reapers, and binders, besides supplying every stall with its own electric light, hot and cold water, and an electric heater. By the time he had finished speaking, there was no doubt as to which way the vote would go. But just at that moment, Napoleon stood up and, casting a particular sidelong look at Snowball, uttered a high-pitched whimper of a kind no one had ever heard from him before. Okay, uh, here's the thing. We need to be careful with promises. That's what this paragraph's talking about. Promises. Stop with the promises. Uh, free education, free child care, free health care, free college education. 
Snowball is an idealist. There's no question. He does look for the best for the uh, animal farm. But again, he's making promises that are just not there, which is why Benjamin's comment, nothing's going to change, is really important because nothing's going to change. Hey, who's going to run the windmill? Who's going to fix something when it breaks? Even who's going to build the windmill? You got to be careful with promises because promises are typically, a lot of people will sit there and say, oh, that's just negative thinking. It's not negative thinking. It's reality. There's still going to have to be work. There is no way we're going to work two to three days a week and live in this beautiful utopia. And the animals are going to find that out too. So never believe in promises. When people make promises, that's the person I'm not going to vote for. I don't want to hear promises because promises don't ever work out. Even, even if the promises come from someone who really does want the world to work out, like Snowball. Snowball's a good, good pig. There's no question. But the reality is his promises to get people to be on his side, that's probably not a thing. Probably not going to happen. The animals are still going to have to work. They're still going to have to work five to six days a week. And they're still going to have to work hard. But stuff gets real now. So let's let's continue on. This is kind of a long chapter, so I don't want to waste too much time. At this, there was a terrible bang sound outside and nine enormous dogs wearing brass-studded collars, oh, that's a big thing, came bounding into the barn. They dashed straight for Snowball, who only sprang from his place just in time to escape their snapping jaws. In a moment, he was out of the door, and they were after him. Too amazed and frightened to speak, all the animals crowded through the door to watch the chase. Snowball was racing across the long pasture, that led to the road. He was running as only a pig can run, but the dogs were close on his heels. Suddenly, he slipped, and it seemed certain that they had him. Then, he was up again, running faster than ever. Then the dogs were gaining on him again. One of them had... I'm sorry. One of them all but closed his jaws on Snowball's tail, but Snowball whisked it free just in time. Then he put on an extra spurt and, with a few inches to spare, slipped through the hole uh, slipped through the hole in a hedge and was seen no more. Silent and terrified, the animals crept back to the barn. In a moment, the dogs came bounding back. At first, no one had been able to imagine where these creatures came from, but the problem was soon solved. They were puppies whom Napoleon had taken away from their mothers and reared privately. Though not yet grown, they all they were huge dogs and as fierce-looking as wolves. They kept close to Napoleon. It was noticed that they wagged their tails to him in the same way that the other dogs had used to wag to Mr. Jones. Oh, 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 no, what? What? Okay. First off, this is an example of what happens with indoctrination. This is why you have kids today that just believe that anarchy, communism, socialism is a great thing. This is the anarchy. 
Now, you'll remember in the beginning of the book uh, when Major, the, the first pig that said we could be free, said it may not be in my lifetime. That it may be something that takes time. Well, tyranny takes time too. You indoctrinate the right people and you get this. You get the black shirts of Italy under Mussolini, fascism under Mussolini. You get the brown shirts under Hitler of Nazi Germany. You get the NKVD under Stalin in the Soviet Union. This is exactly what the dogs represent. Notice that even notice that Orwell even brings up the fact that they got studded collars. You think that's a mistake? No. That's not a mistake. This is the fear that the animals are making to control the other animals. Now, this is going to be next next part is going to be kind of long because now you see the making of tyranny and the promotion of a tyrant. And there's a reason Napoleon is named Napoleon. Because France, after the French Revolution, they were just... The French Revolution was first off a mess, okay? It was a mess. It was not like the American Revolution where we had plans. The French Revolution did not have plans. And then someone, little guy, five foot two or five foot four, named Napoleon, took over, and eventually named himself Emperor of France. This is what's going to happen in the next few paragraphs. So let's, let's listen. Napoleon, with the dogs following him, now mounted on the raised portion of the floor where Major had previously stood to deliver his speech. He announced that from now on, on Sunday mornings, the meetings would come to an end. They were unnecessary, he said, and wasted time. In future, all questions relating to the work of the farm would be settled by a special committee of pigs, presided over by himself. These special committee of pigs, uh, these would meet in private and afterwards communicate their decisions to the others. The animals would be assembled on Sunday mornings to salute the flag, sing the beasts of England, and receive their orders for the week. But there would be no more debates. In spite of the shock that Snowball's expulsion had given them, the animals were dismayed by this announcement. Several of them had, uh, would have protested could they have found the right arguments. Even Boxer was vaguely troubled. He set his ears back, shook his forelock several times, and tried to marshal his thoughts. But in the end, he would not think of anything to say. Some of the pigs themselves, however were more articulate. Four young porkers in the front row uttered shrill squeals of disapproval, and all four of them sprang to their feet and began squeaking at once. But suddenly, the dogs sitting around Napoleon let out a deep, menacing growl. The pigs fell silent and sat down again. Then the sheep broke out into a tremendous bleeding of four legs good, two legs bad, which went on for nearly a quarter of an hour, and put an end to the chance of discussion. Afterwards, Squealer was sent around the farm to explain the new arrangements to the others. Comrades, he said, 
I trust that every animal here appreciates the sacrifice that Comrade Napoleon has made in taking this extra labor upon himself. Do not imagine, comrades, that the leadership is a pleasure. On the contrary, it is a deep and heavy responsibility. No one believes more firmly that Comrade Napoleon... No one... Uh, no one believes more firmly that Comrade Napoleon, that all animals are equal. He would be only too happy to let you make your decisions for yourselves. But sometimes you might make the wrong decisions, comrades. And then where would we be? Suppose you had decided to follow Snowball with his moonshine of windmills. Snowball, who, as we know, as we know now know, was no better than a criminal. This is justifying Napoleon's tyranny. And eventually, and when tyranny starts, you need to justify the tyranny to the people. Eventually, when the tyranny sinks in, you only justify the tyranny, only the tyrant needs to justify his tyranny, his murder, his bad intentions. Snowball has been demonized. He's been made into a villain. Why? Because he disagreed with Napoleon. And as we're going to see in a few minutes, we're going to see that, okay, um, this is not a thing. Continue. He fought bravely at the Battle of Cowshed, said somebody, talking of Snowball. Bravery is not enough, says Squealer. Loyalty and obedience are more important. And as to the Battle of Cowshed, I believe the time will come when we shall find that Snowball's part in, in it was much exaggerated. Discipline, comrades. Iron discipline. That is the watchword for today. One false step, and our enemies would be upon us. Surely, comrades, you do not want Jones back. Okay, two things here. First off, I know music's in the background. I'm probably going to have to stop the podcast until the music in the background goes away. But two things here that are really important. One, changing of history. Snowball was a hero at the Battle of the Cowshed. He got shot. So I not so suddenly they want everyone to forget about that. That's terrible. Second is the um, second is the rebellion. For a tyrannical government can never end. It can never end. Cuba, they are still in rebellion. They are still screaming they are in a rebellion. That They are doing that today. They, they've been... Castro, the Castro regime has been in control for 60 years and they still say they need to fight the capitalist pigs in the United States, even though the United States made a deal with John F. Kennedy during the Cuban Missile Crisis that said they would never attack again. And that deal was with the Soviet Union at the time. So you can see that where what is actually happening here. And what's amazing, this was written in 1948, okay? This is a big deal. Everything that has happened in this book that this guy is saying in a parable called Animal Farm has already happened in Cuba, in the Soviet Union, in North Korea. It's all happened.
One would think George Orwell was almost a prophet instead of coming up with a story. But you got to understand, he was already anti-communist. He was already anti-communist. So was Adelis Huxley. He was anti-communist. And you've got to remember that the Bolshevik Revolution in the Soviet Union, what would become the Soviet Union, uh, they were both able to actually watch. So it is not surprising that he's basically taking what happened in the Soviet Union and making it what it is. You got to remember, at the time, Stalin is in place and the Soviet Union is actually beginning to take full tyrannical control, specifically Stalin. Okay, so let's take this book home. Once again, this argument was unanswerable. Certainly, the animals did not want Jones back. If the holding of debates on Sunday mornings was liable to bring him back, then the debates must stop. Boxer, who had now had time to think things over, voiced the general feeling by saying, if Comrade Napoleon says it, it must be right. And from then on, he adopted the maxim, Napoleon is always right, in addition to his private motto of, I will work harder. By this time, the weather had broken and the spring plowing had begun. The shed where the snowball had drawn his plans for the windmill had been shut up, and it was assumed that the plans had been rubbed off the floor. Every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, the animals assembled in the big barn to receive their orders for the week. The skull of old Major, now clean of flesh, had been disinterred from the orchard and set up on a stump at the foot of the flagstaff, besides the gun. I do want to point out, this is something communists do. Communists actually display their former leaders. Uh, Hugo Chavez is displayed in Venezuela. Lenin was displayed. Lenin and Stalin, I believe, were both displayed in the Soviet Union. Um, Castro was displayed in Cuba. Uh, uh, Tung Su uh, Mao was displayed in China. This is, it's a weird little thing, but that that is something that the communists do for whatever reason. After the hoisting of the flag, the animals were required to file past the skull in reverent man manger, in reverent manner, before entering the barn. Nowadays, they did not sit all together as they'd done in the past. Napoleon, with Squealer and another pig named Minimus, who had a remarkable gift for composing songs and poems, sat on the front of the raised platform, with the nine young dogs forming a semicircle around them, and the other pigs sitting behind. The rest of the animals were fa sat facing them in the main body of the barn. Napoleon read out the orders for the week, and, uh, for the week in a gruff, soldierly style. And after a single singing of "Beasts of England," all the animals were dispersed. On the third day after Snowball's expulsion, the animals were somewhat surprised to hear Napoleon announce that the windmill was to be done was to be built after all. He did not give any reason for having changed his mind, but merely warned the animals that an extra task would mean very hard work. It might even be necessary to reduce their rations. The plans, however, had all been prepared, down to the last detail. A special committee of pigs had been at work upon them for the past three weeks. The building of the windmill, with various other improvements, was expected to take two years. Now, I don't know if, if Orwell did this on purpose, but it just basically shows the inefficient, inefficiency of a totalitarian government 
or in this case, what Orwell is pointing out is communism. So Snowball said, hey, we can do this. He was motivating and we could do this in a year. Now, Napoleon saying, yes, it's going to take two years. And yes, you're going to work harder than you've ever worked before and I'm going to feed you less. This is the story of communism. Bernie Sanders, that old fart communist who said he enjoyed breadlines in Cuba. He thought breadlines were great. It meant they had food. No, that's the problem. These people were actually starving over there and they weren't getting food. You can sit there. They, he even compliments Venezuela. In Venezuela, people are eating cats and dogs. Rations, you just, when you lose your motivation to actually create, when you lose motivation to actually work, and when the government controls everything, including the distribution of, uh, of uh, food and money and things like that, you can guarantee it's going to get jacked up because government sucks at absolutely everything. Okay, so let's take it home. That evening, Squealer explained privately to the other animals that Napoleon had never in reality been opposed to the windmill. On the contrary, it was he who had advocated it in the beginning and the plan which Snowball had drawn on the floor of the incubator shed had actually been stolen from among Napoleon's papers. The windmill was, in fact, Napoleon's own creation. Why then, asked somebody, had he spoken so strongly against it? Here Squealer looked at very sly. That, he said, was Comrade Napoleon's cunning. He had seemed to oppose the windmill simply to a maneuver to get rid of Snowball, who was a dangerous character and a bad influence. Now that Snowball was out of the way, the plan would go forward without his interference. This, said Squealer, was something called tactics. He repeated a number he repeated a number of times. Tactics, comrades, tactics, skipping around and whisking his tail with a merry laugh. The animals were not certain what the word meant, but Squealer spoke so persuasively, and the three dogs who happened to be with him growled threateningly that they accepted the explanation without further questions. And there you have it, the end of chapter 5. So you can see, um, we now have a tyrant. We now have a tyrannical government. We now have a police force with the dogs. Uh, and the animals really have no choice. Because there seems to be a lot of talk about how, well, why hasn't, like the Soviet Union, why hasn't there been a rebellion? Well, yeah, but when you begin to suppress the population so swiftly and with such strength, there's no time for rebellion. Organizing is almost impossible. That's why Stalin would throw millions into the uh, gulags. So this was this is this was an important chapter. This was a turning point chapter, and you can imagine things are just going to get worse. Well, that's it. Um, it's it's uh, Labor Day. I hope everyone has a great Labor Day. I, I had a great Labor Day weekend, you can tell, because I'm late and there hasn't been too much news, so I've decided just to do this. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at RunninFool, R-U-N-N-I-N-F-E-W-L. You can download or listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, and YouTube. You visit my website at www.dumbassestalkingpolitics.com and take a look at some of the show notes. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics.